Father, as your word is open, help us. Please, Lord, we know that we can do nothing without you. And Lord, speak to your people and speak your experiences through me. With our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, what we need to do is we need to understand the times. The sons of Issachar, the Bible says, they, they understood the times, so they knew what, what? Do you know what it says? The Bible says, so they knew what Israel, what? Art to do, okay? So the sons of Issachar was blessed by God in the Old Testament because the Bible says they had an understanding of the times, the culture, so they knew what Israel needed to do. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. And what are we called to do in the church? 1 Timothy chapter 5. So we can know what God's Israel church needs to do today. It's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. The Bible says, Do not rebuke an older man, an elder, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. So when you hear these terms of father, mother, talking about the church, Sister, brother, what are you thinking about? Family, right? So really the church was really supposed to be a family. That's what it was supposed to be. We are called in the Bible to respect the fathers, you know, double respect, especially now. So in other words, it's a family, it's a village, it's a community. That's what it was supposed to be. And even though when you think about it, even the Godhead lives with Father, Son, Holy Spirit as a community as well, right? And so that's what God wanted. We were meant to live in community. You know, in the days of the patriarchs, you also find that they lived in community as well, right? You had several generations of Abraham, right, and his children, and the next generation, grandchildren. They all live in community all together in one, like a little tent city they had of their own. And that is very important. Grandparents with great-grandparents, they open up their hearts and share their affections freely with one another as a community. You know, that's something that I really long for. I shared about my brother on Friday night. And um, that's something I've been really striving for in my family. I come from a big family. There is eight of us in our family, four boys and four girls. And... Our family alone, without children and our grandchildren, and some of them, my oldest one, have, we're the youngest of the eight, have even grandchildren. But anyway, so we have 70 of us. So we have a party. It's just 70 of us and this immediate family. There's 70 of us. And so when we do things, we always, you know, we do things together. And I was just thinking about, you know, people say, well, I love to live in Hawaii, right? How many actually live, like to live in Hawaii? Let me see hand out there. Okay, the problem with Hawaii is this, the cost of living. Do you guys know that? Okay, if you ever been to a vacation in Hawaii, it is super expensive, right? And you know, they actually rip off the tourists. I just want to let you know, they rip you guys off. <laughs> they call you, do you pay tourist prices? That's what they tell us, right? Tourists were made to pay retail price. That's what they say. <laughs> so it's unfortunate. And unfortunately, they give us discounts. If you have a Hawaii license, they give you up to 50% discounts on tourist things, up to, I found 70, 80% off, you know, this because... You know, they, they make the money off tourists. I just want to let you know, so next time you go to Hawaii, save money, okay? <laughs> so it's really good. So how about you save money while we're going to the seminar as well? <laughs> Here's how Hawaii hits you twice. Hawaii hits you twice, so number one, when you go there, everything's expensive. You're going to find the food is ridiculously expensive. Gas, I mean, not so bad, but sometimes it gets very expensive. I mean, cost of living, um, buying a home, 
I mean, certain islands, you forget about it. The average median cost in like Hawaii is the highest of all the four major islands. You're talking about 750, 800,000 just for a basic single family home, you know? And that's what you're looking for. So you get cost of living is high. Number two is um, you get a, a pay cut for the same position in the mainland for the same job in Hawaii. So you hit twice by high cost of living plus second a pay cut. So you doubly hit. Are you, are you following me? So that's why they say is the cost to live in paradise. And the only way you're going to be able to live in paradise is, and I know people who move from the mainland to Hawaii because they want to live the Hawaii dream, I guess, and they love it and they enjoy it. But the problem is that after only a short time, they cannot afford it, and they move back. And people wonder, how in the world do we make it? You know, we left, we felt God's calling after I got sick that I pastored 15 years in the Hawaii conference, and it was a great experience for me, but we felt that God was calling us to this ministry full-time because we saw the need, especially in Hawaii, there's a great hunger, and so we felt we wanted to do this. And so by faith, by faith, we went out. And we just went out full-time into our ministry. Um, we're not asking anyone for money, and donations were coming in. But I'm telling you right now, our salary compared to what we used to make is very little. In fact, it's like one-third of what we used to make, less than one-third of what we used to make. But you know what? God has been taking care of us. And you know how we make it inside Hawaii? Our family, our friends. And I was just thinking about, you know, a few things this morning as I was going through this. You know, it's like we all contribute. When there's a luau, a party, you know, my sister, one of my sisters, she does like the floor decorations, beautiful. And it costs like hundreds of dollars inside the floor mark. And it's like this beautiful mark. She does it, you know, this free, this donate her time. There's other people very professional in making like decorating the whole luau, really nice. You know, my specialty, I have different specialty. I do like the kulolo, you know, and bring it to the luau. And in our family, we had different services. Like my brother, he's really good at fixing cars. He fixed all our family's cars. You know, we rarely pay for any services. And in building a house, you know, the fixed things, we all work it out. You know, I know how to fix the basic of cars. I teach my, my family how to do that. My, my sister is an accountant. She does my income taxes for free. We have no dental insurance. My daughter got... Um, hit with a, with a bat broke off and it hit in a mouth, cracked like four of her teeth, and that's like, very expensive. And uh, we have a good friend, no dental insurance, and yet it was completely free. In fact, he's been giving us free dental for my whole family for the last, uh, since I was uh, like 20 years ago. And so it's like we're working together as a community. Are you following me? And here's the thing if you have money, you don't need each other. Are you following me? Money is our new God. We don't need community because if I have money, I don't need my brother to fix my car for me. I don't need to ask him. I don't need this interdependence of community. I just need to pay somebody to do it, right? If I need something fixed um, in my house, you know, fix my window, like change my screen, I don't need to do it myself or ask my friend to help me. I don't need to ask my nephew who does his electrician. I don't need to help me do my electrical, which I want him to do soon, right? You know, we're doing these helping each other out. In fact, you can live a life where you don't need anybody because money can buy you everything. And so that was biblical community. And things began to change. But how did things really change? You look at the Bible, Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. Let's see another angle of how things have changed in this culture 
We want to be like the sons of Issachar, understanding the culture, the times, so that we may know what we need to do in these last days and how we may reach the people. If we don't understand the culture, we may be, you know, we're shooting and missing and we're kind of guessing at how things work. But we need to see how the, what happened in the Bible. So back then we had the, the community of the patriarchs and the community of generations and working together. Everyone, you know, they kind of helped each other out and that's how things work. But Genesis chapter 10, verse 8. Okay, let's see what, who was the first king that ever existed? The Bible says here, Cush begat Nimrod. He started to be a mighty one in the earth. So he was the first mighty person in the earth, referring to a, a king. Because it says in verse 10, and it's talking about Nimrod. It says, and the beginning of his, or Nimrod's what? What does it say in 10? Beginning of Nimrod's, of his what? Kingdom, right? Was what? Babel. So Nimrod had a what? Kingdom, right? So if he has a kingdom, then that makes him a what? A king, right? So Nimrod was a king, and his kingdom was what? Babel, right? And that was the beginning of Babylon, right? Okay, so this was the beginning of Babylon. Started in Babel, and he was a king of Babel. So he's a king. Now he began, or he started to be, so he was the first king that ever existed. It was Nimrod. Now, something happened in the culture of the times with Nimrod being the first king. And this is what, where Babylon started off. And because of this, before Nimrod's time with Abraham and the patriarchs, whenever there was discipline that happened, they would come to the, the leadership like Abraham, and then they would deal with discipline in the strong ties of family love for one another. And they would discipline them, and, you know, but out of love. You know, it wasn't be severe discipline or whatever it is. But as soon as it became a kingdom and a king, now authority rested over territory. And it grew and grew and more. And actually, it became so big that sooner or later, they're living in a city and they moved away and they're away from the families. And after a while, they didn't even know each other anymore. And so now authority and rulership was over territory. And as it was over territory, you know, that's when it became worse and worse as a, as a kingdom and as a king and as an empire. And that's what happened in Babylon. And what happens in that is that whenever there's discipline, they will not do it without the family ties of love now. And so when someone is disciplined and, and heard they were actually mistreated, kind of like what's happening in the inner cities, cities of today. Police brutality. If you get pulled over, right, and you something does wrong or you're suspect, and, you know, they may hear something wrong, like, you know, I have a license for a gun, and they thought, oh, he has a gun, and they start shooting, right? They don't know you, right? But, you know, I have a friend that we grew up together, and, you know, when we were younger in high school, we actually get in trouble together. But, you know, the interesting thing is, the miracle, I became a pastor, and he became a police officer. And he's like the coolest police officer ever, okay? If you know him. <laughs> No, if I get pulled over by him, and I did something, I broke all these speeding 70 miles an hour in 25 miles zone, right? And I do something wrong, you know, I have all these paperwork out of it, and he comes like, hey, get hands up. And he sees me, he goes, King Allah, he goes, hey, we'll get out, we're so close, we'll hug each other. That's how it is. That's how close we are. So that's not on the way in the city. It's a difference when you know each other, right? Is that not true? He's not going to be like, Kayla, what you doing? And he starts shooting at me, right? He's not going to be that way. 
because there's something there. And that's what happened in the cities. And that's why we're told in the last days that we need to get out of the cities. What do you say? Amen? Amen. You know, there's going to come a time, and we're told in inspiration, um, just like Lot, you know, had to come out of the cities. We're told that there's going to come a time where you're going to want to leave, but you will not be able to leave. Do you guys know that? But that time has not come yet. Okay? God still is moving his people in the right time. Okay, we know that. But it's going to come a time that that will come to place. Now, in America, there's that king and kingdom mentality that pervades the culture today. In the community societies, there's that social relationships. But there's a Western culture here in America, in Europe and everything. It focuses on the individual's own thoughts and the material world comes first and relationships come last. That's how it works. You want to have the American dream, you want to get all these material things and money and wealth, right? You get all these things, that's more important. And your individualism. You don't need anyone else. You can do it on your own. If you, get, if you get a good job, you make a lot of money, you can buy all you want. You don't need anybody. Right? That's what we tell, even our, you know, our daughters, we tell them, I hear people tell their daughters that, you know, you need to make sure you get a job, you take care of yourself. You don't need a man, you take care of yourself, and you, can, you don't need anybody. Is that Western individualism. That's why in your handout, look what it says. It says, Western individualism, I myself as I stand apart from you, and then biblical community is I myself as I stand in relationship with you because it's all about relationship. Is it not? What do you say? Amen? Amen. Let's look at the Ten Commandments. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. The first four commandments deal with what? Your relationship with God, right? And what love looks like. If you love God, you want to spend time with God on his Sabbath day as a spiritual date and rest in him, right? What do you say? Amen? If you love God, you're not going to have any other gods before. No, God is showing you what love looks like. The last six commandments is a relationship, there's a word again, with each other, right? And God's saying, this is what a relationship of love looks like. If you love your brother, you're not going to murder your brother. It's very simple, right? If you love your sister, you're not going to steal from your sister, right? If you love your mom, you're going to honor them, right? If you love your friend, you're not going to cheat with their wife, right? This revealing what love looks like. So the Ten Commandments is really about relationships, right? So that's what God wanted, is relationships. And that's what biblical community was supposed to be in the church. Daily they ate, right? They, they broke bread together and they, they prayed together. It was a, a community. And yet we're not seeing that here today, right? We don't see that community anymore. You know, Revelation 13 in prophecy, Bible prophecy, it talks about the lamb-like beast, right? Revelation 13, right? So a lamb. How big is a lamb? What is a lamb? Does anyone know what a lamb is anymore? <laughs> what is a lamb? Okay, it's a sheep. Very good. Okay, it's a sheep. Okay, what kind of sheep? Okay, baby sheep. So if it's a baby sheep, is it big or is it small? Okay, small, right? So it's a small thing. So this nation started off with a, as a small nation, community-based, right? Very small, no big cities. But in the last days, this lamb like beast is going to speak like a what? Dragon. Now, dragon, is it small or is it big? Okay, it's big, right? So this big dragon, right? So it's going to turn into a centralized, going back to the roots of Babylon, to big centralized cities that we're seeing today. 
And with the big centralized cities of the dragon of Babylon, right, we're seeing back to this, the origin of Babylon, Babel, or the first king of Nidron, you're seeing that the cities of America today are based upon large cities. And everyone wants to move into the cities because it's more convenient. You got everything there, 24 hours, a lot more things to do. You know, I always hear that. I live in the country, and all my friends on Honolulu, where there's one million people on a small, tiny island. And I say, you know, it takes me 15 minutes, 20 minutes to go across town. To me, it's far, okay? This is kind of far. And it's kind of far. It's like five miles away to go, you know, 20 minutes. It's kind of far. I mean, it takes long. That's 20 minutes to go five miles is kind of long to me. But they say it's much closer over there. The city is only like a half a mile, one mile away from them on Honolulu. But rush hour traffic, that same time it takes them maybe five minutes. Sometimes it takes them up to half an hour, you know. Five miles, one hour, two hours of traffic, one way. And I'm thinking, really? Is it really more convenient? Do you really have more time in the city? Yes, things are more 24 hours. But hey, but, you know, I'm a little bit patient. I like Amazon. I just ship it over to Hawaii, you know. Free shipping. <laughs> but really, is it better to live in the cities? Is my question. Have we, do we feel we gain a lot more? Maybe more independence and all that? But I believe we lost a lot more. We've lost that family community. We lost things. You know, people want to feel like a part of things. Like, somebody asked me, do you force your daughter to sing? And I said, I don't. In fact, she plays the piano. And she sings. And I just asked her, and she says no, then it's no. <laughs> Today I asked her to sing, she didn't want to. <laughs> so I said, okay, that's fine, I respect that. But you know, I wanted her to actually play the ukulele. Let me play the ukulele here. Let me see hands up. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Oh, right, I see, I enjoy the music. You guys did a good job. Okay, so I, I love it, and I wanted her to play the ukulele so bad, okay? Because that's just what I love to do. And you know, I'm glad she sings. But that's not what God called her to do. It's like we need to let our children grow up to a, a natural um, unfolding of their lives. That's what I'm learning. Because each person has their own individuality. And not force them. You force them too quick, you're trying to create them to be something that they're not. So you naturally let them unfold to what God has called them to be. And that's why I know it says that um, the more simple, right, the life of a child the more better it is for their physical and mental development. And so my purpose now, I realize, you know, when my, we're too busy, she doesn't do well. When we make things simple, she does really good. And so I tried to slow things down, declutter our home. There's a study here they did on kids with, you know, attention deficit disorders. And they found that all they did was go into their home, there's a lady that does this, they went into the homes of these people with attention deficit disorders and all that, and problem child, like psychotic kids, right, in the school system, and who were all on meds. All of them were on meds already. And all they did was go into the home, declutter the home, and slow down the schedule. As Ellen White said, right, amen. Can you hear a big amen for that? Amen. amen. That's all they did. And um, in quiet and rest, it says in Isaiah, right, is our strength. So in peace. So slow things down, the more simple and quiet the life of a child, slow it down. They said, just doing that, not even changing the diet. And diet, I believe, is also another strength in this, okay? That's another, and they didn't even do the diet, okay? But 68% of those kids went back to the normal range. Just on the verge, some of them, a lot, were still a little trouble, but they were considered and they went off the medications. Amen. Amen? Amen. 
six, and he did it again, another experiment. Again, the same exact number, 68% of the kids went off the drug medications. That's powerful. And so I see that in my daughter, like if we get too busy and we don't, you know, it, it just totally changes. And so that's why the more simple, that's why the country is so much better. And that's why the community and family, and you get it too busy, you know, Ross will be like the, the, the soccer mom today, you know, always running around and doing things and taking them to sports programs and activities, but we're burning our kids up, they're facing life too quickly. I have a school counselor that tells me that it's too quickly, these kids are, are feel so pressured and stressed out that they have to grow up way too fast. There's too much information coming through electronics. We, oh, electronics, man. If I keep my daughter away from electronics, man, she's the best kid. The moment that I let her to get on electronics, man, she totally changes. The information coming in is too much and too soon. At their age, they're not able to handle that information. I can't handle that information. And it's not wisdom, it's just information. And it keeps coming and it's barraging our kids. And that's why they're getting so much problems. And you deal with the root cause, you know, drug medication doesn't really help them. Do you know that? You're dealing with the symptom. You want to go with the root cause over here. The fact that you have to take drug medication for the rest of their childhood life is proof that it doesn't work, that you have to keep on taking it, right? But the fact that you actually make changes in your lifestyle and the fact that they no longer take drug medication, that means you solve the root cause. Does that make sense? If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? And that's how we deal with dealing with the root cause. So keeping it slow. So I've learned to the natural unfolding of a child. Don't force a child too quickly. Let it go. That's why Ellen White said it's best that a child doesn't learn to formal schooling too early, right? She said that. And so we kind of did that. We waited till she started her formal schooling to read, right? Wait till they're older. I think she said seven or eight, right? Was it eight years old? So you wait. So we waited to homeschool my daughter till she was eight years old, believe it or not. <laughs> we did practical work a lot. You know, she was washing clothes at five years old, just practical skills, like Ellen White says. And, but at eight years old, we waited. And then she started to learn to read. And she ate it up. She's a ferocious reader. I think like within two years, she's reading by the age, the testing, like 12th grade level. So it's not that you're going to slow them down, right? She loves to read. I have to tell her to put that book away. You know, that's how, that's how I am with her. Put that book away. And now she's into math. I'm trying to help her with the math. And I love math, so. And I didn't force math upon her. You know, let her, her thing is reading. That's the natural unfolding of her. Now she's excited about math. So now I'm really putting the math into her, into it, into her life. So there's a natural unfolding, not too quickly. You know, a lot of times we like to live out our own dreams through our own children, right? We want to be good, them to be good in sports because we want to be a sports star. We never made it, right? We want to be smart. We want them to be a great singer or play instruments that we never did. Or maybe we did and we want them to be better than us, right? And so we can't live out our dreams for our children. We must let them be who God has called them to be. What do you say? Amen? And that's what happens like in the city. They're forcing. It's all about control and centralization, which is a danger. Now, I want you to look at this quotation from the Spirit of Prophecy in your handout. Notice what it says. Testimonies, Volume 3, page 539. Inspiration says, now, this quote is going to continue, but I'm going to read you the first section, and we're going to continue. It says, the reason there are so many hard-hearted men and women in the world, why these people are hardened. You ever meet hardened people before? They don't smile. They're mean. They're cruel. They're not nice to you. There's always a reason. So this is what Ellen White says. So the reason why there are so many hard-hearted men and women in the world is that 
true affection has been regarded as what? Weakness and has been discouraged and repressed. So in other words, if we look at true affection between a parent and children, and people don't show it. And they say that's because it's weak. And it's discouraged and repressed. That's why many people have such hard hearts today in our Western culture. And to minimize our relationships in the Western culture, this is the root cause why we minimize our relationships and suppress our emotions. You know, I had a good friend of mine. In fact, we're such good friends, we look alike. <laughs> you know, he likes to play around and joke around a lot. So um, he's walk, he goes to a church and he goes, hey, pastor, good to see you, right? And then um, I was visiting with someone from the conference and they said, wow, it's so great to see you again. I mean, the last time I saw you was just two months, but it was just great to see you again. And I looked at this person and I said, I didn't see you two months ago. Well, yeah, you did. I said, no, I didn't. So it was at this church. And he said, I was walking by. I said, hey, Pastor Keala. And he said, oh, hey, hi, how are you doing? Because <laughs> my friend, we look so much alike, everyone could think he's, he's me. So they call him Pastor, right? And he's a nurse. Okay, so, I, <laughs> but he likes to play around. So he goes, oh, hey, hi, how are you doing? <laughs> and he does that. That's how my friend is like. But he told me this story. He said to me, he said, Pastor, I grew up in a home, German. My dad was German, very stoic. He showed no emotions to me at all growing up. In fact, his lack of affection towards me has affected me and how I treat my wife and my child today. And I know I need healing. He said, even when I heard your sermon about how I need to express my emotions, I wanted so badly in my heart just to say amen, but I couldn't even whisper amen. How many can relate to that? We put our relationships above material things of this world, such as our careers, our money, and our entertainment. And we need to put God and our families back as our first priority within our lives. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Putting God and our families and our relationships is keeping the Ten Commandments. What do you say? Amen? Amen. Love is a fulfillment of the law. If you love God and love others, you're, you're obeying the commandments, right? If you go back to relationships, we really, when we say the words, we're going, we need to go back to our relationships, you know what we're really saying? We need to go back to keeping God's Ten Commandments. What do you say? Amen? And that's what we need in our culture. We need to go back to our relationships. That is the most important thing. That is what God's remnant people are known for in the last days. Here they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus Christ. We need to go back. We need to restore the relationships that have been broken. We need that in our lives. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? Let's go to the text. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will what? Not depart from it, right? How many of you know that text already? Let me see hand. Okay, you heard this text. Right? Okay, so, and we know it as, you train a child right when they're old, even if they left the Lord, they'll come back to what is good, right? But you know what? It also works for the negative side as well. You know, in the Catholic Church, they say that once a Catholic, what? Always a Catholic. Why? And the most largest parochial educational system in the world is the Roman Catholic Church. 
education is a main thrust. Did you know that? That's smart. The whole Jesuit system was based upon the Counter Reformation, was based upon the education system. So the whole goal is to train up a child a certain way to think. Like, let me tell you how powerful education is, okay? So let's go back to the Reformation. How many of you guys heard of Martin Luther, okay? So, okay, so he was a teacher at the University of Wittenberg, okay, with Philip Melanchthon. And they were running the university and they were teaching, okay? But before they started teaching, in, um, there were less than 1% Protestants in Europe, in, in Germany, 1%, less than 1%. Before they started teaching at the University of Wittenberg, and they had a Saxony school plan that Melanchthon made and went through all of Germany, teaching the young, younger children, less than 1%. Within one generation, one generation, this of teaching, 97% of Germany became Protestants. One generation. That's how powerful education is. That's why we do our Healing Rain School, because I feel people change way fat more in that school than we do in teaching, than in seminars. But the counter-reformation of the Jesuit system came back, right? And the false teachers they planted in the Protestant schools. Within one generation, the Catholic system won back 50% of their members in one generation. You see how it can go back and forth so quickly? And that's why education is so, so important. And that's why I want to focus on this. If a train up a child and where they should go, they know that the Catholic Church knows to train up a child and where they should go, and, and when they, they will not depart. But could it also be possible that train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, train up a child, in other words, when a child receives a bad experience, right, growing up, and they're hurt and broken, could it also be possible that you train up this child in the way they should go, that they will not? depart from it as well. If they've been hurt as a child, they've been broken as a child, they've been abused as a child, if they've been trained up that way and raised up that way, when they are old, they also will not depart from it as well. Unless they experience healing. Can you hear me? Amen? Amen? So that's why you need to have experienced healing. And that's why you look at the quotation. Um, look at the quotation here. It says, the reason why there are so many hard-hearted men and women in the world is that true affection has been regarded as weakness and has been discouraged and repressed. And notice what the next quotation it says. Continue on this talk. It says here, the reason why there's so much broken and hurting people and hard-hearted people is because, it says here, the better part of the nature of persons of this class who are hard-hearted was perverted and dwarfed or stunted in what? Childhood. That's not me. I always believe that in the mouth of two witnesses, so every word be established. Can you hear amen? Amen? amen. So my first witness I called to stand was Proverbs 22, verse 6, right? And it said the same thing I'm saying. And then the second witness I called the spirit of prophecy, and she says the same thing, that it goes back, how a person is today goes back to what happened to them when they were as a child. How were they raised? You know, when I understood this truth, you know what? I have more sympathy toward people who are abusive now. Do you know that? Someone who's in a church, an elder give me a hard time. You know what I see that person as? I see that elder as a scared little child being abused by his dad. That's how I see it, because I know his story. When I see someone against the spirit of prophecy, one of my elders was against the spirit of prophecy, you know? I just listened to him. You know what it was? His mom went overly extreme on the spirit of prophecy and became extremely spiritually abusive in the home. And he went the other direction. 
And because I was able to talk it out with my elder, rather than fighting him with the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy to show him how wrong he was, I dealt with the root cause of his issue, and now he's quoting Spirit of Prophecy with me. Amen. What do you say, amen? amen? You're talking about dealing with root causes here. These are practical, real things that work in a church and with people. Because I know that it was his past. If I just can say, is it the one who raises his voice louder and has the best facts to shoot at it, the other person, and the best coach that's going to win the argument? Or is there something else that's bothering this guy from way in the past? I need to deal with his mom and his, and his issue, right? And if I deal with that, then he's going to heal from that. I think, you know, and that's why the, the system of the papacy teaches us to deal with symptoms only. So we're almost in a sense, because of false system of education, we've been falsely educated to deal with only symptoms. Very few people, like I shared earlier, are able to reason, like Ellen White says, we need to reason from the cause, the root cause, to the effect. The effect would be like, he doesn't believe in a spirit prophecy. To deal with that is to argue with him, get him out of the church leadership as an elder. Are you following me? Right? Get him out. But dealing with the root cause is, help this person out. He's a son of God, and he's hurting, and he needs to experience healing in his life. And if he experiences healing, then he's going to be a power advocate for the spirit prophecy in the later on. What do you say? Amen? Amen. That's what dealing with the root cause is. So, Alan White says, I want to say it again. The reason why people are hard-hearted today, they're broken, why they're doing things that are cruel and mean, because something happened to them in the past. And God has called you to become a spiritual detective. That's what I do. I go backwards. That's my work. You know what book changed my life? Mind, character, and personality. Not volume one. I don't know why it didn't do for me. Maybe do something for you. It's from Ellen White. But it was mind, character, and personality, volume two. That did it for me. And I read that, these quotes, that's where I got these quotes from. And when I read that book, man, it just opened my eyes and like, wow, I need to like reach these people and help them out and be a spiritual detective. That's what I do when I meet with people. I just kind of like, okay, tell me your symptoms, right? Like a doctor. Today, doctors don't even do symptoms anymore. They just do blood tests and guess where, what's going on. But very few doctors can do symptoms and read symptoms and look at you and, okay, this is what's going on to buy your symptoms. It's a lost art almost. Like you got to have blood tests now. But now it's like you got to look at something and see what is the spiritual symptom. And from the spiritual symptoms, trace it backwards to the root cause and find out what's causing those spiritual symptoms. This give me a big picture. So you go back and you discover what was it that's making him do this over here. And you discover what it is. And then when you, once you discover what it is, and then you bring the love-based solution to heal them. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? amen. And that's how you help people. So... Um, there was a lady who said that she was always told by her mom she was never good enough and that she was always going to go to hell. And she said, I quote, she said, I could never understand what I had done to my mother that she would hate me so much. I surely couldn't be lovable. I saw myself as a complete waste of life. You know, she's seeing herself a certain way, low self-worth, right? And by seeing herself this way, it didn't just accidentally happen that she's thinking this way, right? I'm a complete waste of life. 
you got to trace it back. What happened? And if you talk to them and ask them, you're going to easily find out that her mother told her that she's going to go to hell and she's completely worthless, right? So that's how you deal with symptoms. And you go back. No, people have been told, if I was a good mother, I would have put you in a foster home by now. They're told you're supposed to have been a boy instead of a girl. They're told you're in an accident. You're a mistake. We never wanted you. We never will. They've even been told, don't you know how to do anything right? <laughs> Ever been told that before? They've been told all types of things. Now, what must we do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? Turn to Luke chapter 18, verse 17. Luke chapter 18, verse 17. In the Bible, Luke chapter 18, verse 17. The Bible says here, As surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little one, child will by no means enter it. So what must we become first before we enter the kingdom of heaven? As a little one? Child, okay. And you know, okay, Pastor Alvin Myers, children, babies, okay? <laughs> but I believe it's both. But it can be used as both. But even as a little baby, they need to trust, right, and simple trust with the parents, right? And so we need to go back to the simple life of a child. You know, I look at a child and see my daughter, she's, she's so much into like carefree and she's at peace and she's enjoying life and don't have all the stresses of life. And man, I want to protect her from this crazy world out there and that gives us so much stress, especially as ministering as a pastor. This is the stuff I hear and, and, and see in my experiences and you want to protect her as much as possible. Do you remember when you was a child? No, maybe sometimes some of you may have bad experience, but you can. There's always a place when you was a child where it was actually really good. You can even block out the bad parts. Maybe there's a time you went camping with your parents, or a time when you were actually went to a youth group, or there's something experience where you just kind of hung out and um, with your friends and in the yard and played. Just something simple, yeah. It wasn't something big. It was just very simple. And a lot of people are like it's something like that's the best time, the most happiest time. And that's what we need to become as a little child. We need to go back to the time when we were hurt and healed from that and have the peace and joy of a little child and become a child again. You know, a lot of times people drink to numb their pain, okay? And we're going to go into that in the next presentation, addictions. But a lot of times people also, especially men, they drink because... They want to go back to how the carefree and fun it was when they was a child as well. Because that was the funnest, best time of their life. That's why they go drink and they just open up and they're like serious and up, but they're all relaxed and everything. There's two reactions. I'm going to try to explain to you the two reactions. The first reaction is that they go back to the little child. They're enjoying being a little child because they're free, they're expressing, they're having fun, they're laughing. And you know, my daughter goes to our family parties, they're all drinking. And then um, she goes, Dad, they laugh about the dumbest things. <laughs> I go, yeah, yeah, it's dumb, right? They go, yeah, they laugh about the dumbest things. I go, I'm glad you've seen that. We always debrief, right, before we go to these outreach ministries in my family. There's <laughs> a missionary field. My family's a missionary field, right? So I go out and try and reach out to them, and I mingle with them. But you know something? They open up. They come as a little child. They open up, and they come free. And they start opening up spiritual things. I witness, and I witness at parties, and I don't force it. The Holy Spirit just opens and leaves, and let's go where the Holy Spirit leads. But 
it's so silly and they're acting so silly and, and dumb and they're this and I was like wow and but what happens is when they go back in the enjoyable time when there's a child and they're acting like kids that's what they're really doing they're acting like kids the grown men are acting like kids again and that's the happiest moments that's their happy thought that's the happy thought they're going as kids but what happens is when they realize that wait a minute I've been shortchanged in life I can't believe that I'm missing out on experiencing this happiness that I'm feeling right now, but a few beers and buzzing, and I'm missing out on this experience. I can't be this way in my real life because I'm still in pain because that so-and-so or dad did this to me or mom did this to me that they become angry. And that's why some people stay happy and some people become violent. Do you notice that? And that's why they become violent when they drink. So there's different reasons why people go on addictions. But that is the reason why, and the social drinkers are mostly like that. And I've seen that in my family. You know, I know in this, I, that's how I minister to my family. When I go to my brother, he was always very negative. So, always negative. So, no matter what I talk about, it goes to negative. This bitter in life. So what I do is, I always go back to the past. Do I have memories when we as brothers playing out there or going camping together? And he always changes and comes happy. That's the only thing that changes him without alcohol. Can you hear me? Amen? But I have to guide him there. Without me, he's going to go to the alcohol because no one's going to do that for him. But I, I know where to go with him. And you can too. That's why you're here because not only to help yourself, but you can use these principles and you can help people and you can witness and minister to these people using these basic principles from the spirit of prophecy. It was all there in the Bible, spirit of prophecy. They were perverted and stunted and dwarfed in childhood. If that's clear, let me say Amen. Amen. You know, the Bible says that in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. Look in your handout here. It says here, those, my life today, page 161. Those who in everything make God what? First and what? Last and what? Best are the what? Happiest what? People in the world. So if we put God first, last, and best, we, we will be the what? Happiest people in the world. So my question is, if we were not the happiest people in the world, then what are we not doing? Is that a good question? That's a sign that we are not putting God first, last, and best. So the people who actually are not happy, the miserable, they always want to make people miserable, they'll never smile, is because they're not putting God first, last, and best. Can we say that according to this spirit of prophecy? Can we say that? If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen. So church leadership, when you have elders and you never see them smile, they're not happy, what can we actually say about that leadership? Is that fair? Can we say that? True, right? I'm not judging them in a sense, but I'm saying, I'm just pointing out the facts according to this, that they're not putting God first, last, and best, right? And there's issues in their life that they need to deal with, right? See, Laodicea cannot go on with the same old thing and pretending that sweeping problems under the rug and nothing's going on, Right? We need to be straight. We need to have courageous conversations. Can I hear amen to that? Amen? amen. We need to have, and this is a courageous conversation. Is this not a truth? I know some of you are thinking about it right now when I'm saying, and it's pretty serious to you, I know. But this is a truth. My question is, why aren't we happy? Let's just forget for a moment being the most happiest people in the world. Let's just be focused on just being happy. Why aren't we just happy? 
Could it be possible there's still a wounds from our past which we have never healed from? Is that a possibility? You know, I went to a domestic violence training for faith-based ministries, for ministers. And I went to this training, and there was this man who shared his testimony. And he shared his testimony that when he was a kid, he was from Waianae, Hawaii, which is pretty much considered the ghetto of Hawaii. And as a kid, his dad always used to beat up his mom in front of him. And he grew up hating his dad so much, he always said in his mind, one day I'm going to leave this home, but one day I'm going to stop my dad, and I'm going to beat him up. Anyway, he kept seeing it over and over, his dad beating up his mom, and finally he was so upset, he ran away from home at 16. And then when he ran away from home, he said he got started getting training in martial arts because he had one goal in mind, and that was to come back home, stop his dad, and beat him up. So he went to martial arts, went there, and he got training. Two years later, he came back home, and he went to his... One time, he saw his dad again beating up his mom again. He said, Dad, for the first time, he said, Dad, stop, in a serious way. And Dad looked at him and said, what did he say? I said, stop it. He said, who do you think you are? And he went after him, and he said, the first time he hit his dad, and he said, he beat up his dad. And he said in his mind, I'll never be like my dad. He left home, moved on, time went on. He fell in love. Beautiful woman from Waianae, Hawaii. They saw a beautiful start. Then they began to argue. Then he began to hit her beat her and do the very thing that he said he would never do. And the Bible says the sins are passed down to the third and the fourth generations. Like I said yesterday, my grandfather died at 49. He was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic, severe alcoholic, always drunk, abusive. I was drinking, young age, since the passed on the third and fourth generations, you're nine times more likely to be an alcoholic, right, guys, share because your dad was an alcoholic. So he's passed on, he's beating up his wife. The very thing he hated, the very thing he didn't want, the very thing he beat up his own dad be- from what he saw, he became the very ugly thing he didn't want. The sin was passed down for, through nurture and environment, right, through nurture and nature, environment and passing down to the genes, right? And so... He went to prison because of that. So he is in prison, and this older man took him on his wing, and he was a Christian, mentored him. He became a Christian. And then before he got out, he said to this young man, he said, you need to love your wife and treat your love, respect to your wife while you still have one because I murdered mine. He left prison. He said he hasn't touched his wife in 20 years. Amen. 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 There is victory over hereditary and cultivated sins. What do you say? Amen? Amen. 
God can bring that victory, but you must understand the root cause and go back to the root cause and break that cycle. Can you hear me? Amen? Amen? God can do it. Beloved, do you want healing today? You know, there's a text that says, by his wounds, we are healed. So by his wounds, whose wounds? Jesus' wounds. And where was he wounded? On the cross. And what does the cross reveal? What does the cross reveal to us? God's love to us. That he loves us more than himself. What do you say? Amen? So on the, the cross, so by his wounds, in other words, by the love of God revealed through his wounds on the cross. In other words, by the love of God, we are what? Healed. Can you hear me? Amen? Love is the only solution for whatever abuse you had as a child. You know, we kind of went backwards, like go to the symptoms and then go backward to the root cause. Heal from the root causes here. Like discover what is the root cause that's causing those symptoms, right? We went over that already. And if there's a specific, you know, I hear people say, oh, you're struggling with that specific addiction of alcoholism? What you need to do is you need to read your Bible and pray more. I mean, you heard that before. What's it really saying is this. You, t- you have a problem. I know you have a problem. I don't know what the answer to your problem is, but I want to look spiritual, so I'm going to tell you, read your Bible and pray. Are you following me? That's what they're really saying to you. Just like there's a specific natural remedy for every sickness in your health, there's a specific cure, there's a specific cause you have to discover, and there's a specific love-based solution for that specific cause as well, and you have to go to that. You know, i never forget, I was at GYC, and this one lady came up to me, young lady in her 20s, 25, and she said to me, you know, when I finished your seminar, she said, because of her life, she said, I was shaking my seat. I, was, I tried to stand up, she said, but I was paralyzed. I couldn't even stand up. I said, I've never heard this. She said, I'm tired of people sympathizing with me. She said, I just don't want sympathy anymore. I want answers. It's good enough to sympathize with people. That's great. But beloved, God has called us as a people to help people to experience healing, right? That's the whole calling. The Isaiah 61 message is to experience, help people to experience healing. That's what Jesus came. He came here with healing. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual healing. That's what he came for. The ministry of healing. Right? We even have the book called The Ministry of Healing. Ellen White wrote. And there's a chapter there I encourage you to read. It's called Mind Cure. Do you know that? And you know what Ellen White says? Get this quote. She says, Nine-tenths of illnesses or physical sickness has this foundation in the mind. You want to hear the real health message? And I'm totally for the physical health message. We teach vegan cooking in our schools. We do that, okay? I totally understand that. But you want to hear the true health message? What's nine-tenths? What is the percentage of nine-tenths? Can someone tell me? Ninety percent. So 90% of physical sickness has its foundation in the negative emotions of the mind. That's what the Bible talks about. There's an emotional connection of the mind, connection to the body connection. Several texts that talks about that. The heart failing them, right? The physical heart is failing them from what? Fear. Emotional fear. Negative emotional fear. Are you following me? So when the negative emotional fear, it causes heart disease. Are you following me? Anxiety attacks, right? The Bible makes those connections. The gall of bitterness, right? The gall is the gallbladder or the liver, right? Bitterness, that's an emotion, a negative emotion. Gallbladder is actually a physical organ, right? 
bitterness affects the gallbladder, the, the, the liver, right? High stress, you know, affects your liver. And the liver affects even like your, uh, your bowel movement and all that and cleansing the blood and all that, right? So it affects it. So that stress, so you can see people are bitter and holding grudges. It affects the physical body. And so the, the health message is a neglected aspect. 90%, nine-tenths of illnesses has it found in the mind. That's why we need to focus on, I believe, in emotional healing as well. I want that. How about you? What do you say? Amen? God is a wonderful God. And, you know, I want to share a story about Jackie. She grew up in a home where her father sexually abused her. And after she left home, she eventually came to the point of forgiving her father. But as she was growing and healing, her father came back home to visit her when she was older as an adult and raped her one more time. She spiraled down into the Great Depression, discouraged. They felt nothing could snap her out of it. And then finally, one day, someone said, go to the church and look at the cross and think about the cross and meditate upon the cross. Behold the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. And that's where your healing will come. So she went to church. She was praying and studying God's word about the cross and the love of God. And she had a breakthrough because of that. She realized that, that the cross, that all that rejection, she laid it at the foot of the cross. She realized that she believed the truth and that she was actually loved and that she was worthwhile. And her clouds of despair, finally it disappeared out of her life. And she had experienced healing in her heart. And all because of the love based at the cross. For by his wounds of the cross of love, we are healed. What do you say? Amen? Amen. It's at the cross. It's at the cross that God's love is there for us. Is that the cross that God's love can heal us? And you know, 90% is a lot. And I think, you know, I'm totally for the health message. You know, my wife teaches the, the cooking class. We have a healing natural remedies class. Because you got to have that. you got to physical and mental. You can't separate it. And it says, has this foundation in the mind. So even though you hear the root cause of the negative emotions, you still need to apply the natural remedies to stop it. Are you following the symptoms? Are you following me? You need both to work together has its foundation in the mind. It started that way, but you need to stop it with both. Because even if you stop it with natural remedies, a sickness, if you still have those negative emotions of bitterness or unforgiveness and hate and shame and guilt, it's going to still kick off a, a physical sickness in the future. And you need healing from that. So, that healing is found at the cross. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.